Hey everyone, welcome to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Just a quick note before today's episode. This summer, we're completing our series of introduction videos with our final season of filming, and we still need to raise about $30,000 to cover those costs, and we would love you to help us with that. And you can do that by visiting the Spoken Gospel website and clicking on Donate. And by doing that, you can contribute to bringing books like the Book of Revelation to life. And whether that's through a one-time gift or a monthly donation, your support makes all the difference in the world. So thank you so much and enjoy today's podcast. Welcome to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Spoken Gospel is a nonprofit dedicated to the idea that every part of the Bible, Old Testament and New, is about Jesus. And this podcast is our experiment to publicly test that belief. Every episode, hosts David Bowden and Seth Stewart work through a biblical text to see how it helps us see and savor Jesus. Let's jump in. Well, welcome everyone to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Seth, how are you? Excellent, as always. I've also been wondering recently how you got into the same rhythm of saying the same thing every time when we open the podcast. Like, I don't know where it started. I don't know where it started either. I I've known it's a rhythm for a long time now. Right. Um. I like it. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Spoken Gospel Podcast. Yeah, and then I ask how you're doing. It's it's like the new thing. It's a tee up because you always have an interesting tidbit. <laughs> I try to. Whether whether it's like a strange way to describe the story we're about to experience or mm. some traumatizing scar from your childhood. Yeah. Nobody can forget the Gibby Night podcast. <laughs> no. No, I actually went and re-listened to that opening recently cuz it made me laugh so hard. <laughs> oh, that um, was on the, the Sun Stand Still podcast if you yeah. missed it. Yes, it was a great one. It was a really good one. <laughs> but today we're looking at, uh, we're wrapping up the land allotments that we looked at last time. Israel has won all the key decisive battles in the book of Joshua so far, and um, now Joshua has been doling out land allotments to the tribes, and we have looked at all those land allotments in the last episode, but now today there are two remaining things that God told Moses to do with the land that have yet to be enacted by Joshua, and those are the cities of refuge and where are the Levites supposed to live? Yeah, because we've got 11 tribes of land handed out so far, yeah. but not the Levites right. and not the uh, cities of refuge. Right. So before we even get to there, we should just say, actually, the Levites back in Exodus and Numbers were never supposed to own land. Right. They were told that they will not own land because the Lord is their inheritance. That's, that's exactly right. Yeah. So instead of getting... Um, farms and mm-hmm. trees that reproduce and s- secure some sort of like stability for their economic line, stability. Yeah. The Lord will provide that for them. That's right. And they would be sustained by the faithfulness of Israel who come to sacrifice to the Lord. Right. And the Lord will provide faithfulness in the land and therefore uh, provision for the Levites. Right. The way it was supposed to work was you would have the Israelite people bringing their sacrifices to the tabernacle that the priests worked in. And when they brought a lamb to sacrifice, the depending on what type of sacrifice it was, some of that meat or uh, wool or anything might come back to the sacrificer, but a lot of it God had ordained 
to come to the priest as their portion. Mm-hmm. And so they would eat it, you know, like give it to their family, have a big party with it. Like that was the way that the priests were supposed to be cared for was not by necessarily raising their own crops and everything, but by working the tabernacle and kind of being the butcher that takes some of the the meat. Yeah. That's yep. kind of exactly right. And kind of exactly. Uh, kind of exactly right. <laughs> That's my roundabout way of saying yes, but not too like putting my you foot didn't down too get hard. Real excited. I don't want to get real excited about it's kind of exactly. Kind of exactly. Yeah. It's like a couple few. Yeah. A couple few. <laughs> or as as a British friend of mine says, it's twice as long as half the length. I say that too. Do you? I yeah, do. it's because you grew up overseas. Uh, yeah. I didn't know that was a British thing. I don't know. I've never I never uh, heard it until I was over there. Uh, anyway. anyway. <laughs> Uh, the other thing to think about that is then is the reason this is necessary is because before this moment they were wandering the wilderness, mm-hmm. so nobody had any land. Right. So how do you not allow the Levites to own land when nobody owns land? They yeah. are a wandering tribe in a wandering nation in the desert. So this is the first time it's been made clear that. They have to live somewhere. They have to live somewhere. <laughs> yeah. And so the idea is, well, God has given the land to Israel as a gift. Mm-hmm. Now Israel is giving back to God a gift of their land. Right. They're tithing it. They're tithing the land, mm-hmm. and the tithe of their land goes to the Levites. That's right. That's exactly. And that's yeah, in the same happening. In the same way, they're supposed to give an offering of their crops and of their livestock and of their money. Now they're giving an offering out of their land. Yep. And it says it, it, says it explicitly in mm-hmm. Joshua 21, 3. So by the command of the Lord, the people of Israel gave to the Levites the following cities and pasture lands out of their inheritance. So God gives them their inheritance like he promised, and then Israel gives back to God what God has requested of them. That's right. That's, that's what's happening. Yep. It's, so, and it's the fulfillment of the promise. Like mm. it's God has faithfully given them all the land, like it said in Joshua 13, uh, or Joshua 11, mm-hmm. uh, and Israel is faithfully obeying all the commandments of the Lord. Right. So it's this picture of like the completion of the narrative of the, what the Torah told us to expect, God fulfilling his promises and Israel being obedient to him. Right. And, which is why you'll read, when, when you read chapter 21, you'll see um, different tribes mentioned and then like there's this parcel of land that comes out of the tribe of Judah or out mm-hmm. of the tribe of Simeon or out of the tribe of Nephtali. It's them giving their... Uh, part of their tribal inheritance that they just got a few chapters ago. Now they're giving it to the Levites. Yep. That's exactly right. Okay. So, but before we even get to the Levites, yep. we have this whole thing about cities of refuge. Yes. Which we've talked about multiple times before. Yeah. I'm pretty sure in the Exodus 21 podcast, the Numbers 35 podcast, uh-huh. and the Deuter- Deuteronomy 4 podcast. It is crazy how often cities of refuge come up in the Torah and then now again in Joshua and how I never heard about it I know. growing up in church. I know. Well, it's because, <laughs> and I think, that's culturally. Yeah. Like we have such a strong system of courts mm. that we don't fear personal vengeance. Oh, right. So like mob justice or tribal justice would have ruled the day if a court system wasn't in place. Mm. I think I've shared the example before when I was in Kenya and some like some of the, the, the villages out mm. in kind of the middle of nowhere and how it was really common if you like the, the, the I was told the common um, punishment for stealing a cow or even being suspected of stealing a cow was to be burned alive God. in a stack of tires. Oh my gosh. And this was common enough 
that whenever it happened near the road that we normally went to these villages, we just took a different road because they didn't want us to see it, but nobody was surprised by it except for us. Mm. So the idea of personal vengeance or justice being meted out by the community or by a select few of people, or in this case, the Avenger of Blood, mm-hmm. was really, really common. Uh, so you need some kind of system like this if that's not going to rule the day. Right. So this is a way in which for justice to be enacted, not by the hands of men or women who are just angry or communities that are angry or individuals that are angry, but by God himself and the priest that he set up. Right. So the situation Seth's describing here is that you have a person who accidentally commits a murder or accidentally kills someone. Yeah. Right. So like somebody over in your car is not, it doesn't have to be intentional. It doesn't have to be intentional manslaughter. Yeah. The example that's given, I think it's in Exodus. The axe handle or the the axe. axe, Yeah. You're swinging your axe and the axe just flies off. The axe head flies off the handle. And then it hits somebody in the head and kills them. It's an accident. It's an accident. Yeah. But you do that and that person's brother or uh, if you kill a, someone's wife with that, mm-hmm. their husband is going to be extremely angry mm-hmm. with you, even though it's not really, it wasn't on purpose for one, you know, it's also like, but it is your fault, you know, right. you're the one who swung the ax or didn't have the, a, a good ax. So it flew yep. off. And so they're going to want to enact justice against you. And so that person who is angry at you for killing their wife or whomever is called the avenger of blood. Yeah, and it was normally a relative, like a mm-hmm. kinsman to you. So yep. if I was killed, if you killed me, it would be my brother, Ethan. He'd come back down from Philadelphia and he'd be yep. hunting you. Right. That, that's that's yep. the kind of the way it works. That's right. And so what the cities of refuge um, allowed the manslayer to do was to flee to this city, explain to the elders of that city mm-hmm. uh, the situation, uh, explain that they are actually innocent of manslaughter, intentional manslaughter, and they which is would murder. Which is murder, called murder. Murder is inten- yeah. intentional manslaughter is murder. Right. Manslaughter is unintentional killing. Yeah. 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 Uh, and that city would refuge him. They yes. would keep him safe from the avenger of blood. Um, and he would have to stay in that city of refuge until the high priest. the high priest died. And then he was allowed to go back to his home. Right. So there's a couple layers that I want to add to that. So there's okay. this layer of justice that we just talked about. Uh-huh. So it's like man, you killed somebody, even though it was an accident, like justice needs to be done. Like recompense needs to be made. That's right. So if you are convicted of manslaughter now, you can either pay damages to the family. So like that's pretty common. Like mm-hmm. if you if you kill a husband, uh, of somebody's husband, you can be liable for, you know, a million dollars to pay for the, not just the loss of life, but to pr- provide- The loss of income. The loss of income for that family for a certain period of time. Emotional trauma. Emotional trauma. Or you could go to prison if you're unable to pay or as like the just penalty for breaking a law. You did, didn't stop at the stop sign. Right. It was an accident, but you broke the law and it caused the loss of life. Mm-hmm. So like we understand the justice aspect of that pretty well. Yep. But there's another aspect that's happening here. It's it's the purity of the land. Yes. Uh, so we talk about the idea of the purity of the land, but if you rewind and go back and read Exodus 21, Numbers 35, and Deuteronomy 4, when you when blood is spilled in the land, mm-hmm. when there's an unintentional or an intentional murder, or <laughs> unintentional killing, a manslaughter, or a murder, yep. the land itself in is some way stained. is stained. Yeah. And so there needs to be like a cleansing of the land itself. Yep. And so the avenger of blood isn't just looking for personal justice all the time, although that's part of it. He's also the rightful way in which uh, the land could be cleansed, mm-hmm. a life for a life. That's how the land is cleansed. That's right. Uh, a, the life of an animal for the life of a human is a like 
common category already set up, mm-hmm. but eye for eye, tooth for tooth, life for life right. is also the category the law sets up. So if somebody takes a life intentionally or unintentionally, that life in a sense is now forfeit. Mm-hmm. And the avenger of blood was supposed to come and ex- purify the land by killing the one, by exacting justice on the one who did it. And so what you're saying is it's not only mob justice. It's not only like, not a I'm angry, mm-hmm. therefore you need to die. And the cities of refuge were there as a way to protect people from angry brothers. That's exactly right. It was also the avenger of blood is a holy role. That's right. Where someone's representing the justice of God against the stain on the land caused by killing or murder. Yes. And what's interesting about that is like, if to whatever extent that it is a holy role, they're not allowed to exercise it. Mm-hmm. So that, that good role, the desire to clean up the land can actually be only executed by the death of the priest, mm. which is what you just talked about. Right. So the idea is this manslayer goes to, because the other option is the community stones the man for murder. Uh-huh. Like there is right. like, you don't need to go to the city of refuge. Yep. If you're, you can't go to the city of refuge if you're a murderer. Yeah. And if you are a murderer, the community can actually, can can kill you, mm-hmm. capital punishment for right. that crime. And a life for a life, the land is cleansed. Mm-hmm. But in this particular case, when somebody is innocent of intentionally killing somebody, but guilty of the loss of life, um, a, another human being, yep. as in like the, the Avenger of Blood cannot make the land clean, the priest must. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to add that like layer to it. Yeah. Because uh, I think that's interesting uh, and I think it sets up our categories for Jesus well, too. Yes. Um, yeah, it really does. One other color to throw on this whole thing that I think is interesting is if you remember at the end of our last podcast, we talked about how chapter nine, uh, 18 and 19, chapters 18 and 19, they talk about the seven remaining tribes in the land allotted to them. And we talked about that as new creation. And like God is rebuilding Eden and here's the, the, the land being allotted to the tribes. God's going to dwell with his people. Here we go. It's Eden. And yet inside Eden, there's death still. Like the first thing we hear about after this new Eden expansion project is there's still death and that's a problem. And so like, you know, and like that was the main problem that came up in Eden itself was death is what separated God from man. As closest to the Eden project as we as it looks like we are with God yep. fulfilling his promises and everyone being obedient to his commands, there's still a fundamental problem mm-hmm. with the, this new Eden and that's death still exists. Right. So in order for Eden to really exist, we need a refuge from death. That's right. So I just think it's setting up some big theological categories too. And that's even hinted at in the number of Cities of Refuge. So we're told that there's six cities of refuge, mm-hmm. just like uh, Exodus 21 and Deuteronomy 4 that are set to set up. But in Numbers 30, uh, sorry, no, in Deuteronomy 4, so in Exodus 21 and Numbers 35, there's six cities of refuge. Okay, three yep. on the east, uh, on one side of the Jordan, three on the other. But in uh, Deuteronomy 19, it says that as they take over the land. Oh, they should add three more? They should add three more. That's right. So there should actually be nine cities of refuge total. Okay. So the fact that only six are mentioned here is also an indication that not all is right in the New Eden. Mm. Not only is there death, but the fullest extent of God's kingdom under Joshua hasn't been realized yet. Yeah. So like not everything is right here mm-hmm. uh, in this new picture of Eden. Yeah, that makes um, sense, which goes back to what we have talked about already about the tension of the already and the not yet of mm-hmm. they've been given the land, but it's not quite all theirs yet. That kind of leans into all that tension. Yes. Right. Okay. So, so 
let's uh, so one one thing I want to before we jump to the gospel here with the high priest and the cities of refuge, which we have to do. Um, I I just which have we this get to do David. we we get we to do get to do David. I meant like we like the text compels me. Yes, I must do you this. Must um, is that perfect there, man? There, there's there, nothing there, from duty. That's right. C.S. Lewis. <laughs> <laughs> Don't C.S. Lewis juke me. Uh, uh, what I was going to say was that, like, there is an, uh, a concept here that's being illustrated that um, a lot of modern people have trouble with, and that is um, vicarious atonement here. Like, there is that the priest didn't accidentally kill anybody, and yet when he dies, somehow that person's killing is absolved. You know, but the priest didn't do anything wrong. How? Why does his death fix the problem well i think yeah it's a great question yeah and i think in this particular example well one he's complicit in the protection of a manslayer so the the, the high priests like listens to his court case uh-huh. and then provides him protection within his city until he dies oh so and he, then and then all the people that he's protected during his life that he has now become complicit in housing mm-hmm. he's racked up all their "Quote unquote guilt, all the right. stains on the land, and then when he dies, his blood pays for all those who have come under his protection." That's exactly right. I don't see Jesus in that <laughs> at all. <laughs> it's it's really I, I don't even think I put all those pieces together until until we just it's beautiful talked about yeah. here. But like yeah, that's right. Like Jesus becomes complicit in our sins mm. by, because he's housing us. Because he's housing us. He's like he like d- he has chosen to cover us with his feathers. If we seek refuge in him, just mm-hmm. like David says, like runs to a city of refuge, you're my strong tower, you are my fortress, yeah. whatever. If we seek refuge in Jesus, he becomes our city of refuge. Mm-hmm. He implicates himself in our sin by protecting us from the avenger of blood mm-hmm. that should come against our, not just our murder. It's like right. th- some of us have committed manslaughter. Mm-hmm. Some of us have done that. Yep, and I'm, I would not be surprised if people in our podcast who've like actually hit somebody in the car, like we've been in car accidents before, and like right. had serious injury done to people around us. And that was their their fault, not ours. But right. still, like yeah. that's a common enough scenario. Yeah, people live with that guilt, live with that hanging over their head. But besides that, we're also told the wages of all sin is death. That's right. The the avenger of death is coming for anyone who has not loved God mm-hmm. and not kept his commandments. That's right. But when we seek refuge in Jesus as our city, mm. he com- makes himself complicit in our sin by protecting us from that death. Yeah. And then when he dies, we get to go free again. Yeah. He he like it's kind of like those situations in movies where it's like, well, if you want them, you're gonna have to go through me. Yes. Yes. And he's like, okay, I'll go through you. You know? And like that's what Jesus does. Man, that's really interesting. We yeah. can hide in Jesus, like our new city of refuge. And when we do, um, we we take the first step toward living in Eden because Eden is a place without death. It's mm-hmm. a place where we're free from death, you know? And so like, it's a place of life. And so well, when, when we hide in refuge in Jesus, we li- we get to live as if we have life now. Yeah, it's not just nine cities of refuge. Mm-hmm. The world is a refuge. <laughs> like, right. The like world he, has a refuge. The world has a refuge in Christ. Like mm-hmm. there is no place mm. that you have to flee to in right. order to escape the avenger of death. Right. You turn to Jesus yep. and you have been 
atoned for. You've been forgiven. Like a life for life has already been paid. Yeah. Death does not need to come to you. Which is a cool picture to think about as Israel should have taken over more and more land. And as they took over more and more land, they should have added more pockets of these cities of refuge, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So that as they cover the whole earth, there are cities of refuge all over the world so that more justice could be done, more grace could be given, more lives could be saved. You know, the high priest's death would atone for more and more people as the, as the cities of refuge multiply. Um, But that didn't happen, you know, Uh, but what's amazing about the great commission, what's amazing about the kingdom of God, the gospel going out is that there is no pocket in the world you know, no nation, no geopolitical region that does not have access to Jesus as their city yeah. of refuge. Every time we proclaim the gospel, we establish a new city of refuge. Yeah. Every time we tell people about the good news of Jesus, that he's that he'd become complicit in our sin to protect us from the avenger of blood, that is a new city of refuge for people to come and take shelter in. Yeah. And the more and more people who come under his protection, uh, the more and more people are saved at the death of the high priest, which happened on the cross of Jesus. Okay, so the Levites Mm -hmm. are now given their land. And the one thing that I remember about reading this passage, not only three weeks ago, but also this morning. Pasture lands. Pasture lands. And their pasture lands. And that pasture lands. So Israel is giving back to the Lord uh, several of their own cities within their own tribal allotments, along with the pasture lands around the city. So one, the reason the pasture lands are even mentioned is, well, one, in Numbers 35, 3 and 4, it specifically mentions the pasture lands. Pasture lands. <laughs> I'm just preparing people to read. <laughs> yeah, those pasture lands. It's they're pasture, coming up. They're coming up. So God's fulfilling his promises. Yes. And Israel's being obedient yeah. in exactly the way they were supposed to. That's right. But the function of the pasture lands, I'm assuming, is that that's where the priests take care of the flocks that would eventually be used as sacrifices so that when people travel from their villages or their hamlets to that town where the priest lives, they can purchase one of those animals and offer it as a sacrifice to the Lord. Yeah, I think that's about right. Yep. Uh, and uh, yeah, and I think you, could, you should also remember like uh, another like translation of this word pasture lands. It's like a green belt. Okay. And so there's this image that uh, some of the law, um, the laws around these pasture lands sets up earlier are, are you have the, the cities, which are like kind of picture like a walled city mm-hmm. where everyone and everyone lives inside of it, including mm-hmm. the Levites who yep. are assigned to that city. But then around the, that wall is a green belt. And that's where all the livestock graze. And it's this picture uh, of the atoning sacrifices of Israel uh, that, that would be found mm-hmm. in the animals surrounding the people of Israel and forming like a protective shield. So when they would walk into one of the Levite cities to offer their sacrifice, they actually had to walk through a field of living sacrifices. That's right. They are living sacrifices. They're living sacrifices. So they know that going in. Like, mm-hmm. the, the, like a, There's like this liturgical repeated element. Like as you walk into the city of refuge, you're watching the living sacrifices that are about to be sacrificed. That's really interesting. Yeah. Old Baptist churches used to have their cemeteries oh. placed in front of right. their church doors. So that when you walked into the church, you would be going down into death 
and up to the cross mm. at the at the the back of the auditorium yeah. and then when you leave the church you leave the cross go through death and out into the world into new life <laughs> i was like what a beautiful picture that's good and that's actually exactly what's happening right here mm-hmm. it's like a picture of how their sins will be atoned for on the way in and on the way out it's a reminder of how they should live in the rest of the world as living sacrifices yeah as people who have been bought with the price of the blood of a lamb or a goat and who are to act as if a great act of mercy and grace has been Mm. given to them that's cool that's really cool uh another thing to think about here like like with the cities of refuge coming right after all the eden imagery with the seven tribes uh, the cities of refuge or a rescue from death in the same way, the the living sacrifices living in the pasture lands, the green belts, um, were also a way that Israel escaped death. And so right after Eden, you have two provisions saving them from the curse of death, which was the, the plague against Eden. So I just think it's interesting. That is interesting. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so anyway, I mean, and that's kind of all you get there. That's, that's the city. That's the Levite pasture land ending moment uh that's what's happening here and then at the very end we get another um uh emphasis on obedience and god's faithfulness and the lord gave them rest on every side just that he has promised to their fathers not one of all their enemies had withstood them for the lord had given all their enemies into their hands now we've already talked a little bit about how back in joshua 13 1 the whole idea is like not all the enemies have been given over yet right so what's happening well it goes back to some of the the levite cities so some of the cities given to the Levites were Canaanite cities that Israel actually never possessed. And so this is less of a real list and more of an ideal list. And so in the same way that uh, Joshua gave yes. the Israelites allotments that said like, hey, go take this city. It didn't mean the city was theirs already. It meant that there were uh, inhabitants that still need to be dr- driven out in those areas. The same way, the same thing's happening here. There's a tension. There's a ten- The point is God has already been completely faithful mm-hmm to route every enemy so far. Therefore, God will continue to be faithful as long as Israel is obedient. Right. Not one of God's promises has failed yet. Yep. There's no reason to expect that they would, provided Israel is blameless. So, but since we know the end of the story, yeah. and we know that in the next coming chapters, Joshua even said Israel will not be able to do this. Right. It also kind of functions as like a really kind of like ironic rebuke. Mm. It's like... None of all the enemies had withstood them, for the Lord had given all their enemies into their hands. Not one word of the good promise that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All had come to pass, and they had. Mm. And they would continue, but it's ironic because in God blessing them with all this stuff, it actually leads to their own downfall. Mm. It's like, it's kind of a, it works both ways. Yeah. Um, it's a reaffirmation that God is completely faithful, and so far Israel has been faithful. But as we'll soon find out, it's also kind of an indictment. God has been totally faithful to them, yet they will not be faithful to God in the same way. Yeah. Um, but for now, though, the, the picture that we get in these passages is that the cities of refuge have been set up for justice and mm-hmm. purity to reign in the land. You have the cities of the Levites that offer pictures of the sacrifice back at Eden, but also living symbols of how they will be atoned for and they should live in the land. Yep. And we expect Eden. Yes. We, ex- we should expect Eden. And yeah. as we kind of like already hinted at, like with that idea of the Baptist church, it's like there's a sense like when we come to churches, when we come to Jesus, we go in with death around us. Mm. We walk through the blood of Jesus Christ every time we eat his blood and drink his flesh, just like the Levites would Wait. have eaten, eaten 
eat his blood and drink his blood. <laughs> Coagulated blood, you know, like in the... Oh, yeah. You know, like the, the, mm. yeah. You've never tried that, like pho? Oh, no. It's I, good. I've had black pudding. Black pudding, yeah. Black yeah. pudding, you can eat blood. Is anyway, the point. you're not supposed to. Not according to the Bible. <laughs> uh, so anyway, the point yes. is, like, when we come to church, we kind of relive these same metaphors. Like we come to church, we taste the body and blood of Jesus mm-hmm. as a remembrance for what it cost us to receive salvation. And then we are sent out from the cross, from life into the world to live as living sacrifices to him. Right. Which is what Romans 12 says. Yeah. And I think like it's really important to see too that the reason why uh, we we can is, it, it, um, expect life in the midst of death, in, the, in a land of death. The reason why we can expect the Garden of Eden to return in a land and in a world that looks nothing like it is because all of God's promises come to pass. It's because mm-hmm. of this like promise that we get at the end of 21. And it's really, um, it, it's it's like the, it's the last summation of a huge section of Joshua. It's, it's one of the most important parts of the book. And um, it's this statement that everything came to pass just as God promised it would. And I think there is something about the character of God that is being evidenced by all these land allotments, all these victories, the cities of refuge being built, the the land given to the Levites, that all of this is stuff that Moses um, was first promised before they entered the land. Mm-hmm. And like that's going to be repeated again and again and again throughout these chapters. And that is to highlight the this thing in the character of God that is his trustworthiness and his consistency, the way that he makes promises and keeps promises. And I think like th- there's something about the reliability of the word of God that um, I think we need to meditate on. Because I, I just, I think... It's an antidote for a lot of things. It's an antidote for legalism because if like God says like, I've made you righteous in Christ, you know, and we're like, mm, but have you? Don't I have to keep <laughs> doing good things, right. keep making sacrifices, keep cutting my own skin to make you like me? Exactly. Doesn't have to keep happening? It's like, no, like what everything God promises, he brings to pass. And um, he, and, and one of the things he's promised is that he has built us a city of refuge. He has provided pasture lands of provision for us in the body and blood of his son, Jesus. And like the good news is we can trust the covenant-keeping, promise-making, promise-keeping God who gave us Jesus, that when we put our trust in him, we are safe in the city of refuge. The high priest has died for our sins. We are surrounded by acres and acres of provision that will never run out. Like Yeah, in Jesus... God is completely faithful. Yeah. All of God's promises are yes and amen in Jesus. Yeah. Every like so here we have like really concrete ways in which the land promises are fulfilled in Israel. Mm-hmm. And Jesus not only are these promises fulfilled, Jesus says it himself, <laughs> but also like the ones that aren't fulfilled yet, like the desire for new hearts that mm-hmm. are transformed and that love him. Like in Jesus, all the promises of God to give us the land, to transform our hearts, to be with us, to have his presence dwelling inside of us and not just in a tabernacle somewhere, mm-hmm. come true. And when we look at the cross, we can remember that. Mm. We can look at that and say, that is the word of God manifest. That's the word of the Lord completely fulfilled and demonstrated. Yeah. We can like, we don't need to go to a, a city established with a wall and acres of land. We can point back in history and see the cross and the empty tomb as this is evidence that the word of God does not fail and that God is completely faithful. Mm. 
Yeah, that's so good. And then, even though in the same way here, it also becomes like an ironic rebuke of mm. those who don't trust in him. It's in the same way here, like God provided everything. He's defeated all the enemies, oh. provided everything for us, forgiveness of our sins, atonement, justice for those of us who accidentally commit wrongs. And still people will choose to reject mm. the God who is this faithful by going their own way and choosing to define good and evil for themselves and eat from the wrong tree. Yeah. The cro- just in the same way God's faithfulness becomes a rebuke of Israel's sinfulness, the cross of Jesus can become the same thing for us. If Jesus has done this for us, what does it mean to reject the God who has defeated all of our enemies? Mm. What does it mean to reject the God who provides a way of justice for us when we've made accidents? What does it mean for us to reject the God who provides forgiveness when we do intentional wrongs? Right. Like, it's serious. Yeah. It's a, an incredibly ironic rebuke. Mm. But it's also like it's also yeah, it goes both ways. It goes both ways. <laughs> like you said it goes both yeah. ways. Yeah. Oh man. Uh, okay. One last thing I want to bring up that I just want us to meditate on is the Levites were told that the Lord would be their inheritance, and that promise is not voided when they are given a inheritance among the people and given pasture lands, mm. you know, around them. Right. They're provided for through that offering you know of the land of yeah, the land in the same way that they God. ate by the offerings of the people yeah like the lambs the people offered the mm-hmm. lord their the offering of the land was the same thing yeah. yeah yeah so it's just like an interesting thing to think about um i i feel like we have a kinship as christians with the priests here because we too are called sojourners and strangers like in the new testament that we um, are in this world, but of this world kind of thing where it seems like we don't, our, our final patch of land is not here, but in the new heavens, and the new earth. And, 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 and yet we are given parcels of land in the middle of cities that aren't ours. And we are provided for by the hand of God, who is our inheritance in the middle of cities that aren't ours. Mm. And I just, I'm like, I just think it's an interesting worldview to that the New Testament continues to think of ourselves as a, a royal priesthood, which we're called, mm-hmm. that has been um, put in land that is not ours as a gift of God and are given provision through paychecks or whatever your job is right. in order to serve the community around you. Mm-hmm. It's like I think this is a beautiful picture of the holy calling of yeah. a Christian. Yeah. I think that, I think you're exa- exactly yeah. right. Like your homes are the cities of the Levites, mm-hmm. like in really real ways. They should be pl- places that people walk in, and they s- they see and experience the grace and forgiveness of Jesus Christ, and they li- leave being reminded mm-hmm. and hopeful and convicted by the way in which you sacrificially served them, the way that the Lord has sacrificially served you. Yeah, like that's that's exactly right. Like it's a it's a, there is an an ethic of mission and living in the the the, the Levites towns that mm. still applies today and is only made more explicit by the fact that now it's not just nations giving up land or tribes giving up mm. land it's like God giving up his own son right it's like if it's true was true here it's even more true now yeah. we have better reasons to offer forgiveness mercy compassion with people who are different from us around our table than mm-hmm. even the Israelites did. Right. And we should be more convicting, more compelling, more winsome than even they were to the surrounding cultures. Yeah, and I think that can feel overwhelming um, until you realize that the motivating factor and the thing that 
caused the Levites to do their job well or should have caused the Levites to do their job well here uh, was their free provision given to them by the Lord. Like everything they had was a gift. All of it was an offering given from the people by God to them. Yeah. And it's like when you start to view your home and neighborhood and family and paycheck and like your your church home, everything, everything. as a piece of this world that God has ransomed for you and given to you as a free gift to that you didn't earn, right. but just to be enjoyed and used to and sustain shared. you and shared, like it, it changes your relationship with the world around you. Right. Like I often, no, no, I, I bought my home. I uh-huh. bought my home uh-huh. or I rent my home or yep. I am the one who made the money that yeah. provided It's my car. Money. It's my car. No, yeah. no mm-hmm. it was given to you yep. by God. Yep. All things come from his hand. So how does that transform the way that you like? Yeah. But no, I worked at my job to, to, it's like, who gave you the job? Right. Who, who gave the Levites their job? God did. God did. Like, yeah, it's all a gift. Even like, I think even like we don't, we treat the hours of like, you know, six to 10 PM as our time, as our time. No, Mm -hmm. we worked all day and we deserve this break before we work again, before we work again. Oh, well, what if your work was a gift? Mm -hmm. And what if that four hours is a gift? And both of those are supposed to be leveraged by the God who graciously provides everything you need in either of those moments. And if you need rest and relaxation, we can trust that they'll be provided for us mm-hmm. in Jesus by obeying his commands of generosity and service, not by neglecting them. So we have a little bit more downtime to watch Netflix. Yeah. And that's like, that's yeah. kind of the hard, the hard line there. It's like, man, I think I'd be better served by just spending more time doing nothing mm-hmm. than by serving more people. And like, I don't want to make it some equation. No. There is like downtime is a good thing. Yep. Enjoying Netflix is a good, is another good gift of God. Yep. But, not always. Yeah. Sometimes we're called to be living sacrifices too. Right. I just think it's like when we don't know that our downtime is a gift, we can always hold on to it with a tight fist. Mm-hmm. And we can say, I won't let anything interrupt that downtime. Right. Because right. it's mine and I earned it and I need to use it. And it's like, what if you viewed six to 10 as a gift? Then it's like, could you enjoy one hour of it? And do something else with the other three, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, I, yeah. I, it just changes our relationship. And anyway, and then you're free yeah. to spend all four hours doing nothing. Yeah, or all or four all hours doing, doing something. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> <It's> like, exactly. <laughs> so anyway, and what that does is that 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 makes us um, salt and light in the world. That makes us the priests in the middle of Israel. And in the same way that Israel was spread out, uh, four tribes into twelve different cities, totaling forty-eight cities in all. You know. They are they they are spread out in, into the in, into these different places. We too, as as salt and light, are being thrown out into the world by God to just be non anxious presences, you know, to the yeah. world where we just live differently because we did not earn anything that we had. Instead, it was all given to us. Anyway, I just think it's an interesting thing to reflect on, yeah. especially as Christians who have been freely given everything in Christ. Amen. Uh, it just changes the way we we live. Yeah, I agree. So anyway, that's uh, the land allotments. That's not. That's, that's the end of the land that's allotments. The end of the land allotment section, and uh, next week we'll finish up the book of Joshua. Yeah, is that right? That's right. Oh my goodness! Yeah, we have a funny story of a misunderstanding at a river. Mm. Uh, which reminds me of the time I had a misunderstanding at a river. Oh, I, I really hope that's true, and <laughs> I, I can really, hear a story. I don't know if I have a misunderstanding. You'll have to dig into at that a, at a river story, uh, and then we'll hear Joshua's <laughs> farewell speech, and we'll 
Be Done With Joshua. So thank you guys for joining us, and we will see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Spoken Gospel is a nonprofit that gives all its resources like this podcast away for free because of supporters like you. To help Spoken Gospel in our mission to speak the gospel out of every corner of Scripture and view all our free resources, visit SpokenGospel.com.